I wanted to just pick up one question uh, that I was asked a couple of times at the, at the break time and see if I can answer this before we get into this session that I'm going to refer to as a technical session. So last time we talked big picture philosophy ideas. This time we're going to be talking about the how-to nuts and bolts of actually training some of your short-term missions leaders and teams for your church. Uh, so part of the, uh, the question that I received was with regard to the gospel-centered vocation. What did I mean by gospel-centered vocation? Um, I think there are two things happening here. One is that the vocation, the calling of every believer is to know Christ and to make him known, right? That's the Great Commission. But then there's an additional calling, the vocation of a believer that the Lord has given each of us professionally. And so that would be with regard to the work that you do, the, the, um, the actual technical work that you do, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or uh, someone who works in disability ministries, uh, whether you uh, are a pastor or an educator. And so that's the actual vocational aspect that I'm talking about there. And because as believers, the, the Great Commission never takes a break, we then need to recognize that whatever we do is intentionally part of the Great Commission. It's intentionally our calling as believers, whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor, our calling of, as believers is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And so when I say there, kingdom service, what I'm saying is whatever we do in word or deed, whether we're eating or drinking, we're doing all for the glory of God, Specifically, as it relates to missions, we need to be even additionally intentional about how that works. So I hope that answers a little bit of the question that I was receiving from folks about that. Uh, so this is our technical side here. We're a technical uh, session. We're going to talk specifically about how I train or how I would recommend that you train your folks for short-term missions. And I have two note packets. I only gave you one sheet uh, in the first session. I'm making up for that now with about, I don't know, 42 pages of handouts here. So you should have two handouts. One packet will say purposeful preparation for mission leaders, and one will say for, te uh, for teams. If you are missing either of those, please put your hand up and our our seminar guys will get those out to you. Is anybody missing one of those? Okay. It's good to see our friends from Johnny and Friends over there. Thanks for being here. So what you have in your hand, we're going to start with the mission team leaders. What you have in your hand is a sample curriculum that would help you train your team members in such a way that team members and your team leaders in such a way that that philosophy we talked about last time actually gets worked out within your team. So this first page here says STM leader training. This is recommended topics for you. I, um, I actually put this together as a recommendation for a, for a church who had asked me to evaluate their program. And, uh, and I thought, oh, that actually works really well for their context as well as for other contexts. So what you have here is training that will help your leaders put together a trip that would be approximately, I have to figure out if I can wrap my earring to hold this microphone in place, <laughs> or maybe that's the problem. Um, 
what I would recommend to you is that if you take two six-hour sessions, you can train your leaders to adequately lead their teams. And then the second packet that we'll go through in a few minutes is actually four sessions that will help you train your missions teams. And those sessions are going to be a little bit longer uh, because you have additional information that you want to cover for both your teams and your um, and your your leaders. And so this first session here, six two-hour sessions, and they walk a leader from the from the point of setting up a trip to figuring out whether or not you need a visa, to uh, figuring out what the cost of the trip is, all the way down to uh, post-field considerations, which would be actually debriefing the team when they return home. And so basically, this the first session, Leadership Basics, is going to be who, who should go. What should the leader's character be? What kind of responsibility does the leader have? And then secondly, what kind of team members are you looking for? That's all going to come out of the philosophy and of short-term missions there. So uh, who should go? So you've got there the SPM philosophy we discussed last time. You also have character and responsibilities. And if you turn to pages four and five, you've got a sheet there that lists out this is the character that a short-term mission leader should have. And most of these things are going to be very obvious to you. Uh, a solid and dynamic relationship with Jesus, an ability to, uh, to evangelize people, a demonstrated ability to lead, and a confirmation of that. So this list here will help you think about who within your congregation should actually be a leader that you would tap to say, would you lead this short-term missions trip? Now, one of the things that isn't obvious in here is gender. Uh, what we have determined at the university to do and something that I think is actually really helpful for churches is we have two leaders for every trip. We have a male leader and a female leader. And the reason for that is very few trips are simply one gender. So if you've got a trip that's mixed genders, you need leaders for both genders. And so part of your training is actually going to be helping leaders learn to work together. And that's even more exciting with 18-year-olds than it would be with your the adults that most of you would be working with. Um, but that gives you an idea of a little bit of the, the character uh, that a leader is, there, is expected to have. On the, the second page or the flip side of that page is then the responsibilities. When I talk to my student leaders about leading a trip, I remind them that their job is basically to be a resident assistant uh, on a co-ed wing when the resident director's door is 8,000 miles away. Uh, but for you, your leaders need to care for the spiritual and logistical concerns of both the team members and the hosts. Your leaders need to be looking out both ways. How, does, how is the team impacting the host? How is the host impacting the team? How is the culture impacting the team? And so the leaders need to be mature individuals who are able to interact well as a shepherd for the folks that are going on these trips. Additionally, if they're logistical wizards, that helps too, right? You like people who have some, some good skills. And so you want them to be able to communicate well. 
You want them to be able to, uh, to be detail-oriented because they're going to have to figure out visas and flights and different things depending on how you, how you set your trips up. And uh, so you, you want them to be both a good spiritual leader and a good logistician. And so w the remainder of the material that I've given you for these sessions are things that will help a leader actually put together a trip. So for example here, recruiting a team. Here are some things that a leader should consider about recruiting a team. Um, it's a field-driven team. How do you discuss the motivations of potential team members? Should every person who asks, can I go on a trip, go on a trip? Should they all go? Uh, one of my uh, former students and former leaders is here. He was a leader for me for a team to Uganda, and he asked the question, uh, how do we work with youth? H how would you recommend that youth go on missions trips, or would you recommend that youth go on missions trips? And uh, I believe that there's a, there's a way that that can happen, but it needs to be after faithfulness is demonstrated in the home church and in the home. Parents ought to be able to say, yeah, my kid does the dishes without being asked. Right? A parent ought to be able to say that before you send that child to Uganda for the summer. right? And so... Did you do the dishes before I sent you? Yes. Yeah, your mother thinks you're perfect anyway, so I think you were probably good to go there. But So we want to be thoughtful about who the people are that we're sending, especially if it's going to be youth. Um, and so that'll help someone actually walk through the process of what kind of questions should I be asking. And I've given you in... Um, in another spot, I've given you some scenarios that a leader could ask someone if they don't really know how someone's going to respond. Um, we've got some scenarios that you could pose to someone and say, hey, what would you do in this situation if this happened on the field? And, and begin to develop uh, an understanding of what that looks like. So uh, Appendix D and E, you'll see, are going to be um, suggested applications. We run all of our logistics through a site called Managed Missions. And Managed Missions is a, it's a web portal that allows us to input all of the donations that an individual receives, but it also allows us to manage our applications. So a student who's interested or a participant who's interested would actually go onto this website, fill out the application, and then their profile is, uh, is set up through this managed missions site. And that is available to you. It'll be on your resource sheet after session three. Um, but this just gives you an idea of some of the questions that we would ask to determine someone's, um, whether or not they're ready to go on one of these trips. Now, one of the things that I think is important to point out is that um, you'll see on the, on the first page there, page seven of, of Appendix D, one of the questions is, have you talked with a pastor or elder about participating on a mission trip. Your folks need to be asking for advice from people before they say, I'm going on a mission trip, right? And so there's another question that says, what counsel have you sought regarding going on this mission trip? And so it will help you as a coordinator, as a sender, as a leader, if you know who's talking with this individual or if no one's talking to an individual. If a, if a participant comes to me and says, I want to go on this trip, but I don't have a pastor I can talk to, I want to ask, 
first question I'm asking is, in what ways are you actually involved in your local church? If you're not involved, perhaps this isn't the year for you to go. Maybe you need to wait a year so that when you do know a pastor or an elder at your church, you actually can be affirmed by them as someone who is prepared and ready to go on a trip. And so uh, Appendix E, we've given you a shepherd's reference. And you can take these things, and um, these are just foundational for you. Uh, these are not the end-all to be-all of applications and documents. These are simply foundations for you to begin working through uh, the requirements for your own scenario. We've also given you in, uh, in Appendix E there a parent reference form. So if you are working with young people, there are different legalities that are involved, right? So you need to, you need to ask parents, do you give permission for your minor child to go on this mission trip? If you don't receive that from a parent, the chances are in our litigious society that some parent is going to object after their kid comes home with malaria and um, sue you. So the church needs to be careful about these things as well. So we've given you there some an interview. Appendix F is, a, is ways to interview potential team members, uh, questions to ask them before you say, yes, you can go on a missions trip. These are things that will help you get to know someone. Um, and you'll see there at the bottom, there are three scenarios. Uh, one of them gets at discernment and leadership and someone's, uh, whether or not someone actually will put themselves under authority. One looks, for, looks at the issue of home, homesickness or um, a person's perspective on sacrifice. So uh, there at the bottom of the page it says contact. The hosts have asked you not to bring a cell phone with you. What are you going to do? Our teams go for an average of six weeks from the university, and we do not allow our students to take cell phones with them. And so they are given a minimum of one hour per week if internet is reliable and accessible to make contact at home. For a student that typically spends six to eight hours on, on a device a day, one hour a week begins to be a little bit um, disheartening to them. So we recognize that these questions help to get at a little bit of our understanding of how much they're willing to sacrifice. Um, the next page, Appendix G, we've given you budget planning. And let me just read to you um, a little bit about this because I think this is helpful for people. We went to a new process at the institution um, a few years ago, and it's actually worked out really wonderfully. We used to do all of the budget planning and figure out, okay, this trip is going to cost $2,322. And then we would tell the students, you need to raise $3,222. And so as I was talking with students about what trips they were going on, they would say things to me like, well, I'm a pre-med major, and I really want to go on the medical trip, but it costs $3,000. So I'm going to go on the trip to, to um, Costa Rica because it costs $2,000. So that'll save me $1,000. I'm like, wait a second. If you're a pre-med major and you're trying to ask the question, is God leading you into medical missions, don't you think you want to check out the medical missions trip? And so we realized that students were making choices based on how much money they had to raise. So now I do all the budgeting. I don't tell anybody how much the trips cost. And I do an average of all of those trips, and everyone raises the same amount. So this year the amount is $3,200 uh, for a, six week, a trip that will average six weeks. 
and everyone raises that. Some of those trips cost $4,800, some of those trips will cost $2,200, but no one's making choices based on the price tag. And I would recommend for churches, that actually is something that's a very reasonable thing for you to do. And if more money comes in or less money, uh, less money comes in, you can then adjust based on the actual cost of the trip, individual by individual, uh, but it doesn't prevent people from making wise decisions for what trip they should go with. So um, basically with, with our budget planning, I would recommend that you cover all essential costs, which would be room, board, transportation, clean water, and occasional snacks. We tell our students, this does not cover Starbucks every day. It might cover Starbucks if you really want to drink interior coffee once or twice during the trip, but it doesn't cover it every day. Um, and so we want to work through that with the students so that they understand that we're being wise stewards of the money that people are giving on behalf of their trip. And then we don't want the hosts to incur any expenses while they're with our teams. If our team goes out to dinner, the host is covered if they go with the team. Um, and so we're thoughtful about that as well. Look down at the bottom of that little budget planning process and you'll see sightseeing on there. You'll notice that sightseeing comes after the total of the water and snacks and, uh, and housing and transportation. What I have been doing for the last 10 years or so has been uh, taking 5% of what the total cost of the trip is and that's what the team has to do some sightseeing. And then we give them parameters for what that sightseeing looks like. They're going to do things that are not distracting to the local hosts, people who don't have money perhaps to do the same thing that the team thinks they're gonna do. If you're on a trip that includes, uh, that includes um, zip lining, probably not a missions trip, regardless of what it's called, right? So if, if people in your, in your region are not able to actually do the things that you do as while you're sightseeing, maybe you shouldn't do them this time either. And so 5% of a $2,200 trip doesn't give them a lot of money to work with, but it does give them enough money to be able to see something that helps them understand the culture of the region that they're working in. And that's really what we want them to do. So that's just one of the ways we've chosen to figure out how much does it how much does it actually cost to send an individual? Uh, I've given you here in Appendix H visa requirements, and you'll, uh, you'll note that every country requires a visa. Either you receive it when you get there, or you have to get it before you go. And this will give you some of the resources that you need and the documentation you're going to need prior to going on the trip. I've given you a couple uh, resources there that will also show up on the resource list, state.gov slash travel. Can I just tell you, the U.S. State, State Department has finally done something really positive with their website. In January, they revamped their entire travel warning system. And uh, they actually came up with a whole new system that tells you if something, uh, if a place is safe to go for American citizens and why or why not it's safe to go with interactive maps. So now instead of just saying, well, all of Israel is unsafe, they're saying this road from here to here, we do not recommend that you drive on because of these three reasons. Um, and so it's, uh, it's actually a really great revamp of their system. So if you turn to Appendix I, 
Uh, this will give you some more in information about security in the regions that you go. As a church working with adult team members, you have a lot more freedom to determine where you're going to go and what risks you're willing to take with your people than I do working with students at the university. And so I tell my students often, I will send, I will go to places that I cannot send you. So one year I had a group of students that wanted to go to Afghanistan. I couldn't send them to Afghanistan as a team from my university. Uh, I went myself that year, uh, but I didn't send them. And so as a church, you and your elders need to work through what are the parameters for risk that you are willing to take with your people. Um, we've al I've also given you here um, some information on some on-field protocol. This is not a complete list of everything that could go wrong on a missions trip. Uh, as I was working through this, my, my secretary said to me, have you had all of these things happen to you um, or happen to teams? And I was able to, I, I said, oh, no, most of these things have never happened to my teams. I'm pulling them from other, from other teams. And then I went through and I was like, oh, wait a second. Yeah, uh-huh, yep. So there's only been two items off of this that have not happened to our teams. Um, and I'm very thankful that they have not. So kidnapping and personal emergencies have not happened to our teams. I'm very, very thankful for that. But natural disasters, transportation emergencies, how is your church going to handle each of these elements that, uh, that happen while they're on the field? Again, three pages doesn't cover everything, but it gives you a place to start when you're thinking about how do we train our leaders to care for our teams. Um, we've given you some other things here, on-field incidents reports, how to plan a fundraiser, if that's the way your trip should choose to do that. Uh, Appendix M is an on-field budget tracking sample um, that my students um, every year tell me they can do better. And uh, they often tell me, oh, I can, I can do this on the computer. And then they take their computer with them, they get halfway into their trip, and the computer crashes, and then they don't know what they've spent where. Or... They just start ripping off um, pieces of cardboard from a Coca-Cola box and writing their expenses on them, and they don't know what those expenses actually mean. I have a whole file that's labeled budget oddities, and half of them came from this guy. Um, but that's a sample of how that might help, um, how that might help your folks keep track of the funds that, they're, um, that they've been given to work with. Um, one of the things that is exceptionally critical if we want to talk about long-term impact of missions teams is that you need to debrief your team members often, regularly, and uh, on the field and when you get back from the field and continuing after you get back from the field. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's just a two-week vacation, and when you come back, the, you've got a few good party stories and no long-term impact. But if you continue to talk with your people about what happened, about what they saw, about what they felt, about what they, they learned about the Lord, about what they learned about the church, those lessons begin to sink a little bit deeper and they begin to infect their lives here. And so one of the ways that you can begin to work with your people is while you're on the field having regular team meetings. 
And so I've given you here a little bit, uh, a few pointers here of how to put together a team meeting. This can be used both before you go on the trip as well as while you're on the trip. Um, and we recommend to our students that they pick a, a book of the Bible and they work through this with their team during the entire training time and the time that they're on the field. And every year, it doesn't matter what they pick, if they pick Philemon or Galatians or Micah, the Lord uses those verses to impact the students' hearts and to begin to interpret what's happening around them with regard to the hand of the Lord in the location uh, and in their own lives. And so it helps to build relationships, it provides a context for prayer, and it helps your people think long-term. Um, sometimes, this is Appendix O, sometimes your uh, missionary hosts underestimate what you can do as a team, or they overestimate what you can do as a team. Um, and so oftentimes our students will get into a six-week trip. Three days into the trip, they have everything done that the missionary had been working all, all year to write on a list. And then they're like, what are we going to do the rest of the five and a half weeks that we're here? And so I've put together here some suggestions for recognizing when your team has too much to do, when you get those workaholic missionaries who only need to sleep three hours a night, Right, and sometimes they expect your team's going to be able to function like that, or that's that's you, right, Darren? That's yeah. Um, or you get the missionaries who say, "Well, you know, you guys did enough the first couple days you were here, so just you know, hang out at my house." And uh, well, here's our videos. I didn't work for a year and a half to send students to sit in a in some missionary's house in, you know outer Mongolia to watch Disney videos, okay? Your church isn't doing that with your people. So when there isn't enough to do, what do you do? When there's too much to do, what do you do? And we've given you some suggestions here to ask those questions. Uh, we're getting kind of to the end of your, mission, of your leader's training, but here's one way to determine if your leaders are actually absorbing the material that you're, that you're prepping them for. Uh, these are some training scenarios. And so give your leaders these scenarios and say, what would you do? Let's say that you disagree with something theologically that your missionary said. This has happened to our teams more than I care to, uh, to admit. Uh, I had a teams call one year and say, uh, we got here as a part of a church plant, and our missionaries absolutely do not know the purpose of the church. And so they're just kind of doing this, let's get everybody together and talk about what makes you feel good. They're like, how do we as a missions team begin to think through that when we disagree with their entire philosophy of ministry? And so work through that with your missionaries. And that's one of the, uh, or work through that with your team leaders in a way that they're going to respond to that in a godly manner that encourages the missionaries uh, but also maybe challenges a little bit um, in the process. Um, and so we've given you some of those uh, scenarios that we go through with our, with our team leaders on a regular basis. Again, very, very common things that uh, your teams are going to face on the field. The next appendix here, Appendix Q, is debrief. These are things that are happening at the end of your trip, or right after your team returns home. And I've given you two different types of debrief here. One is a collective team debrief. This is what your team would do together on the field before they return home. Um, 
This could be maybe with the host and some of the most powerful debriefing that has ever happened with our students is when the missionary host is willing to sit down with a missionary with a missions team and say here's some of the things I observe about you and sometimes it's about the team as a whole sometimes about them individually uh, I did this one time I was working on my internship for my um, degree in teaching English and I was teaching in Uzbekistan and at the end of the uh, at the end of the time that I was with these missionaries I asked them what are some things you observe in my life that would help me be a more effective missionary in the, in the years ahead? And uh, they took me to the woodshed, and it was wonderful. But one of the things that was most helpful to me was that they said, you can live in any culture. It doesn't matter where you are. You'll be totally comfortable. I love food. That's basically why. Uh, they said, but what's harder for you is actually working with your coworkers, and we saw these things happen here. And one of the issues was um, uh, an issue of loyalty. Somebody had made a really foolish decision, and I felt like I had to be loyal to somebody else. And, and they said, what's going to be most important for you is not where you work, but who you work with. So they said, if you can find somebody who's encouraging to you, who's willing to challenge you, who's willing to listen and, and, and dialogue with you, you're going to do great. So look for the people, not the place. And that was just counsel that I got at the end of this time. And that actually is the counsel that the Lord used to bring me to this setting, to the Master's University, because I never in 100,000 years would have chosen to live in Los Angeles County and teach, at the, uh, to teach in, a, in a United States institution. But because those missionaries said to me, think about the people you're going to work with and the first phone call I had when they started pursuing me was with Mark Tatlock. Who doesn't want to work with Mark Tatlock, right? And so the Lord used that to actually spark within me an interest in being in Los Angeles. And who would leave Alaska to move to L.A.? So those debriefs with your teams will be very important for them, not only personally, but also with regard to how you set your teams up and how you interact with your missionaries. It'll, it'll be an assessment issue for you where you're able to ask uh, some of these questions you'll notice in here. For example, say, how would you prepare another team to go into the same country? And, and think about some ways that maybe you didn't do a good job preparing them. And so your team can actually look at the leaders and say, if I was the leader, this is how I'd do it. And that can be really helpful along the way. So uh, those are just a few of the questions you can ask your teams as a whole, but then you also can give your team members individually questions where they can begin to assess how, um, how is the Lord actually using this experience to impact my heart and my understanding and my vocational choices and my lifestyle choices. And so these questions here, I would recommend you ask people to kind of consider as they're returning home, maybe take a couple weeks to think about them, do some journaling, and then come back together again, maybe a month after the trip, and just start to, to talk about some of these things. What did you learn about love for the church because of your time on this missions trip? What did that look like? What did you learn about, um, or what are you glad you didn't know before you went? Right, this is one that, this, that always teaches me a lot about where my students were. Um, or what do you wish you'd known? That gives me another assessment of, oh, I missed that. 
right? Uh, oftentimes my students will say, oh, I wish I knew that I needed more dress clothes while I was traveling. And it's like, oh, yeah, Southern California, we just don't think about how people dress formally in other settings. And so answering these questions and actually talking about them with my students helps me to determine, oh, I need to add this into my training so that they are, are able to better serve their missionaries on the field. Okay, yes? What's the, num what's the maximum number of team members per leader that you've experienced as optimal males to male? Yes, I would say that that is dependent on the field. Um, some fields have vehicles that only hold 12 people. If you put two missionaries and a national partner in it, now you've got space for nine people. You're always going to have more girls than you are guys. So you're going to end up with probably four males and five females. That's 12. That's all that fits in a van. Some scenarios are like, well, we've got two vehicles that only hold five each. So I really rely on what our field tells us is um, space space for um, that they can take people. So. Any other questions on the leaders training? I know that's the fire hose. On the yes, sir. On the medical information. Yes. You know, uh, when they check that, have you denied anybody on these things? Yes. Uh, on the application, there are questions about: Do you have the following medical concerns? Yes. Uh, we had a girl a number of years ago who wanted to go to um, a Middle Eastern country where one of the major food choices was going to be bread. It was just bread, you know, bread constantly. She was gluten-free. So when she said she was gluten-free, I had to say, I'm sorry, but I don't think that we can fill your dietary needs while you're in this context. And so we actually, um, we actually looked to see what other options were for her. I said, what's your second choice? She said, Ireland. I'm like, great. Ireland has the highest per capita people with celiac disease of any place in the world. That will you'll fit right in there. <laughs> So that was actually the Lord's gift to her in that context. You know, we've had scenarios where sometimes we've looked at team members and we've said, oh, I just don't know if you're going to do well in this place. So we had a, a student a number of years ago, and the, the field had come to us, and they said, we want people to come in and work in this orphanage with children that have been trafficked, and we need them to have specific skills. And so we had people that could teach computers and English and a number of other scenarios. And this girl had applied, and I'm like, I don't think she's going to have a skill we want to use. And uh, I said, so what, you know, what, are, what are you doing? She said, well, I, I, just, I just don't have any skills. And I said, let's talk about your previous jobs. Oh, I, I um, cut hair. And I look on the list. Makes me emotional every time I say it. I look on the list, and one of the things the orphanage wanted was somebody to come in and teach their girls to cut hair. So here's this girl who's saying, I don't have anything to offer. And yet the Lord had given her a skill that actually was really, really positive for where they were going. And the Lord challenged me on that, challenged her, and she's serving him today. And I'm excited to see that. One more story like that. I had a girl who's, a, who's an educator, a primary school teacher. And uh, she felt like God was calling her long-term to a location. And this has happened with our short-term teams a lot, but long-term lo to a location. And um, she said, but I know if I go to that location, women wear burkas there, I will not be able to actually use my love of ballet. And so she said, you know what? If I have to give up ballet for the sake of the gospel, that's what I'm going to do. 
So she gets to her location where women wear burkas, and uh, she starts looking around at some other opportunities for her to serve in the evenings after teaching primary school all day. And one of the options for her was, again, an orphanage that wanted to teach their girls ballet. So the Lord uses some of the oddest skill sets that we have, and we need to stop and say, how is the Lord going to use this person's experience, this person's background, in order to serve and honor him and encourage the field, right? It's all field-driven. What does the field need? Um, and for some of you who are missions pastors, sometimes, as I said before, you have to do a little bit of education on the field, right, and help them understand that it's not just the same thing all the time. It's not just always uh, VBS. So let me just ask a quick question. What are we supposed to be doing? At two. Okay, great. We've got 10 minutes to talk about team training. Um, so uh, I've given you here, again, the similar format of team training sessions. Um, you've got four meetings there. And every, I want to just highlight something for you here. Every church, every team, every host location has different needs for how you're going to train your people. This is a very, very thin framework, um, and you need to build on it. But we've given you a context here that would help your people understand short-term missions, understand missiology, and then understand how a team works together. Meeting three would be, how do you communicate the gospel? If the church says to one of your team members, can you share your testimony in church, do they know how to do that? And so putting together, uh, you can put together a testimony workshop. Um, meeting four then would be uh, team communication. How should they communicate while they're on the field? How do they communicate when they come back from the field? And, uh, and then a packing list, terrorism and travel safety, one of my favorite sessions. Here is how you exit an airplane if it has been taken hostage. Um, travel health considerations. Now, I, I laugh about that, but you need to do that. You need to care for your people, right? And say, you've got to understand, these risks are inherent to international travel and the work that you're doing. And if they are not prepared for that, then um, you have not equipped them to be successful while they're overseas. Travel health considerations and then working with missionaries. Uh, and so those would be your main meetings before you would go. Uh, you're probably looking at three to three and a half hours for each of these sessions to be able to accomplish this material. And that's with fire hose, right? That's just a lot of information, a lot of interaction. Um, team members with teams and uh, maybe a coordinator with everyone together thinking through those things. And then finally, mirroring what we did with the training to the leaders, you've got a post-field debrief with personal reflections and then tips for how to come home well. So let me highlight a few things in here. Some of this will look familiar to you. Uh, Appendix B, Dr. Tatlock mentioned to you earlier that one of the things we do is, is uh, training for peacemaking with our teams. And uh, it is absolutely critical that your teams know how to work together. Because we can say that we have peace with God, but if we don't have peace with man, we lie right? And so we want to make sure that the gospel is not um, distracted from by the fact that our students can't work together or our team members can't work together. And so we do very explicit training with them. And then we have them sit down and come up with a team covenant where they're actually thinking through 
what are the biblical commitments we have to learn to work together so that the gospel is actually made more obvious by how we work together than it is uh, uh, distracted from. And so we've given you some of the materials there we give to our students. Um, additionally, we've got some books, some reading that I would recommend for you. You'll see that on that first, that very first page, and then that will, those will also appear on the resource list that I'll give you in session three. I'm really doing that just to make sure you come back for session three. Um, culture and culture shock. This is some, some material that will help your people uh, get through um, being on the field. The reality is everybody who ever goes to a country looks around for the first three or four days and says, this place is great. Love it here, right? But the reality is if they stay just a couple more days, they're going to say, what on earth are these people doing? They have no idea how to run the world. I hate it here, right? And so you want them to be thoughtful about that. So you've got culture and culture shock. Country briefing is a way to help your, your um, team members actually study their country systematically. Uh, team communication here will talk about how they can present to their church or uh, to a Sunday school class or a Bible study about their trip either before they go or when they come back. And then I've given just a little bit of photography tips there because, um, you know, a picture is sometimes worth a thousand words. Sometimes it's not worth even putting up on the screen. And so we want to make sure that people can communicate in such a way that it benefits the missionary as well. Packing list and my packing maxims. This whole thing is worth these four packing maxims, all right? Um, you'll, if you forget it and you can't buy it there, you can live without it, right? That's a packing maxim that most people do not, uh, do not think about when they pack for overseas. And especially when they're packing in such a way that if you're going into a third world developing country, um, you want to make sure that the amount of things you bring with you do not distract people from the message that you're communicating to them. There's some information about um, terrorism and hijacking, travel safety, travel health concerns. Uh, many of you will end up in tropical scenarios, which could not be more different from the scenario in which you live now. Um, and so those are ways that your folks can think through how do I handle bed bugs, right? Or uh, that may, you may need that if you just go to Disneyland. Um, but these, these are things that can help, uh, help your team members be aware. And then finally, working with your hosts. How do you care for the folks that you're working with? Um, and in the third session, what I've done is I've asked three of my colleagues to come in, and I'm going to be asking them some of these questions. And you can do this with your missionaries when they come home or you can assign your team members, call a missionary you know and ask a few of these questions. What is it like when a team comes in and you've got teenage kids, what is it like for your teenagers to interact with that missions team? What's ways that those teenagers have not done a good job? Uh, or what's ways that the team members have not, um, have not actually been helpful to you in raising your kids? Um, how do you want, if, if a team has disagreements with you, what's the best way for them to communicate those? And so these questions, this is always my students' favorite session, is when I do this and bring people into our, um, I bring people to our sessions and, and ask these questions. And the, 
the students just sit on the edge of their seats going, oh, I never thought about that. This family just went from five people at dinner to 13 people at dinner, and who's going to wash those dishes, right? I tell my students, the missionary host should never wash a dish while you're in country. You're the one who does that. You're the one who goes and gets the broom, right? You're the one who takes the garbage out. Uh, and so that's helpful for your people to recognize that the hosts are not in the service uh, vacation industry, right? They're not in the hospitality industry. They are missionaries with a job to do on the field. And you sometimes are an imposition on that job. And I want our students and our team members to recognize that. And then you have the personal reflections there and some tips for landing well. Um, take time to reflect, to communicate well, and to rest. Again, that was a fire hose. I hope those things are helpful to you. My email address uh, is at the beginning, so if you have any questions about these things, you can feel free to email me. I'd be happy to, to help as I can. And uh, we will... Um, I think we actually have one minute for a question. Yes, sir. Director currently doesn't support any missionaries, so we could just set up a team to go and support them. How can we direct a short team? Could we, should we direct a short team mission without a missionary? Uh, okay, so the question is the church doesn't support any missionaries currently. Um, but they're wondering if they were to send a team, who would they send them to? Or, or should they send them? Um, I think it's a great question. I think one of the ways that you can actually start is by sending some of your elders teams to maybe uh, encourage some other missionaries that, they've, that they know who would be on the field. And then they can come back and actually share with, the, share with the congregation. Maybe there's an opportunity for that missionary to say, you know what, I could use... I could use some skilled people. I need these people to come in and help. Um, and so it would give you an opportunity to take some of those secure professionals from your, from your congregation and actually get them overseas to be a, a help to some of the missionaries that you just would know personally. So. Yeah, sister church or, yeah. So time for another one? Yes, sir. Uh, you, you may describe a scenario where you're taking people from the United States overseas or farther. Yes, sir. What about uh, missionary experiences within the United States? Cheaper cost, how you try uh, to work with that, and which are the pros and cons? That's a great question. And I think this is the same thing if you're sending from um, another country. Say you're, you have uh, a church in Mexico, and you want to send people within Mexico. Much of this training is going to be the same because you're crossing cultural boundaries, right? And so you want to make sure that people have an understanding of what culture is and how to do that. You want your whole congregation to know how to communicate their testimony, right? So those things actually do, um, they do cross whether you're talking about overseas or not. The difference becomes uh, whether or not you need a visa, right? So you don't need that visa sheet so much, but you do still need to talk about culture. Uh, I was in a session this morning with... Um, with Pastor Dave, who did the first session, and he said, any church that wants to come and learn how to do Muslim evangelism, my church is willing to, to serve as a resource for churches to work in Dearborn, which has the largest Muslim population in the United States. And so opportunities like that, I think, are actually really good first steps 
four people before they would get on a plane and meet a pastor. So I think that's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do, but you still have to give them much of the same training. Besides that, I'm Mexican, so it's pretty common to see American churches taking people into Mexico to do all, all kind of 900,000 Americans a year go into Tijuana. You would think it would be the kingdom of heaven. How about the cost? We have, uh, we serve to low-income people in America. Are some of them eager and willing to take part of an experience, a cross-cultural experience, but they will never achieve $2,000 for a trip. Right, so then a, a more local trip can actually be beneficial to the, to the people that you're working with. And so if you get a, a trip that's close, then you don't have the extra expenses. Feel free to email me some of those questions and I can give you some additional ideas on that. Thank you very much.